Hi, this is Pastor David Cooper. Thank you for joining my podcast. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with others. Together, we can make an impact in people's lives as we introduce them to the Word of God. Thank you for your partnership and ministry of the Mount Perrin family and our outreach. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you today. The 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd is probably the greatest literary, poetic, and musical masterpiece ever constructed. Of all the poems written, of all the songs composed, I don't think any can rival the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A lonely singer-songwriter with a lyre, an early form of a guitar, singing with one voice somewhere on the rolling hillsides of Bethlehem overlooking his father's sheep, suddenly realizes that God's relationship to him is the same as his relationship as a shepherd to the sheep. And he begins to sing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This magnificent psalm that we've been looking at has helped us understand anew and afresh God's care for us as our shepherd. It's also an insight into Jesus' relationship to us because he called himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The psalm ends with a celebration of the goodness and mercy of God. And then he makes reference to eternal life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Barbie and I were leading a Bible study tour from our church in the Holy Land. Our guide was fantastic. His name was Duran. He was Jewish, but he didn't really go to the synagogue, didn't really practice his faith. And I got to know him so well, and we talked about the Scripture, and I encouraged him to go to the house of God. One day we were at a particular site, And he was introducing the site to the people before I shared some insights about that place from what had happened in biblical times. And he made the statement, he said, well, you know, in the Old Testament, the immortality of the soul is not taught. I didn't want to correct him, but I said, that's actually not true. It's taught all through the Bible. Even God called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living, not the dead. And I referenced this 23rd Psalm when David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ezekiel has the vision of the dry bones coming back to life, resurrection, power. We read references to heaven all through the scripture of this dwelling place of God. And here the psalmist David clearly refers to the hope we have of eternal life. In Psalm 1611, he says to the Lord, You will not leave me in the grave. You'll not abandon me to Sheol, to the afterlife, to Hades. You'll not abandon my soul to the grave. But he says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. He says very poignantly that we're not going to remain in the grave, that we'll be with God in his presence in heaven. And of course, Jesus helped us understand that more fully as he talked about heaven 
preparing a place for us and the hope of eternal life and telling us the whole gospel was about the promise of the immortality of the soul for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And here, 3,000 years ago, young David, shepherd of Israel, the king of Israel, sings about the hope of heaven. So David makes a fantastic declaration here of promise. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So here at the conclusion of the psalm, David sings about the blessings of God in this life and the hope of eternity with God. Surely goodness. If you're sure of something, you're confident, you're assured, you're guaranteed. So that word is important and it should not escape our attention. Our faith has grown to the place of full assurance of faith as Hebrews 10 and 22 refers. We have the full assurance of faith. It's not that we believe, but we've grown in our belief to knowing. Can you say, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day? As Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 and 12, he faced death in a Roman prison. And he said, I know whom I have believed. That's what David is saying when he says, surely I know this. I've tested the Lord. I've proved the faithfulness of God. My experience with God is real, surely goodness. David had a deep, settled assurance that God was real, that God was involved in his life, and that God would take care of him, and that God will take care of his people. Surely. He doesn't say maybe. He doesn't say I hope so. But surely, I have a confident assurance. Beyond a shadow of a doubt is what the word surely means. This entire psalm is a series of declarations of what David knows God will do for him. He does not ask God for anything in the psalm. He simply affirms the fact that God will provide for his life. And he says that God will always give us two things, goodness and mercy. In a world of evil, injustice, unfairness, unexplained suffering, David is fully confident that the goodness and mercy of God will follow him every step. He spoke early on about how God leads us. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me beside still waters. And now he realizes where God leads us, a lot of blessings are following right behind us. Think about that. You've got the future prepared for you by God. You've got the blessings following behind you. You're surrounded on every side in every turn of your life with the goodness and mercy of God. The compassion of the shepherd was fully expressed when the good shepherd laid down his life for us, the sheep. In 1 John 3 and 16, the Bible says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We are surrounded every moment of the day by the goodness and mercy of God. God's nature is goodness. A lot of bad things in this world, but they don't come from God. They come because of the sin problem in the world. Nahum 1.7 says, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, if you are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. God intends good for us, never harm. And even in the times of the 
harm and difficulty and problems of this world, God's goodness is there. And mercy, mercy is love in action. Mercy is pardoning the guilty. Mercy is providing for the person who doesn't even deserve it or have to earn it. Mercy has got God withholding the judgment, perhaps, that we even deserve at times. That's what mercy is. Grace is God giving us what we don't earn or produce. But mercy is the other side of the coin. It's God not giving us the punishment maybe we've earned or the discipline we earn or the judgment. God withholds the judgment. That's mercy. Our God is a God of mercy. And certainly David learned that in his own life. He had many mistakes. He committed sins. He fell at times and a few great moral and spiritual failures. And yet he learned that even through that, God loved him and picked him up and forgave him and gave him a new start. What a hope today that God's grace in your life and mine is goodness and mercy. And if you trust him, if you walk with the Lord, you're always going to have goodness and mercy surrounding you in your life and following you everywhere you go. And Jesus said, follow me. Now, we neither deserve the mercies of the Lord, nor do we always discern them, but they follow us. These blessings are following right behind us. He said, they're going to follow me as I follow Christ. The goodness and the mercy of God follows me. Think about that. That implies that there's an impact to your life spiritually, that your life is impacting others. When you know Christ is your Savior and your minister toward them, your life is impacting other people with goodness and mercy, and that what should be in the past of all of us and the impact we make upon our relationships is goodness and mercy. That's what we should be leaving behind us. That should be the impact of our work. That should be the impact of our relationships. That should be the impact of our communication. When we talk to people, when we minister to people, when we work with people, the impact of our lives, the legacy of our lives needs to be goodness and mercy. Too many people are trying to leave a legacy of greatness, a legacy to themselves. They want a statue built to themselves, perhaps. The real legacy is when you leave goodness and mercy and you've benefited other people and you've been kind and merciful to them. Who can you be good to today? Who can you be merciful to? You see, that's the impact of a real legacy. That's the real legacy we leave behind when we impact people and we treat them with the goodness that God treats us with and we are merciful and kind to them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns, Isaiah 52 and 7. You see, that should be the impact of our lives, that we're bringing people good news. We treat them with goodness. We show them mercy when they sin. We pick them up when they fall. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He says, these are the ongoing blessings of God in my life. And I'm going to make sure that I pass those blessings on to everyone else. And I leave behind an impact of goodness and mercy. So that whenever they want to comment about how I treated them, they're going to say, that person, he or she treated me with goodness and mercy. And he ends with this amazing truth. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a place of security. And that word surely goes with both promises, goodness and mercy, and surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord. When people come to the last moments of their life, they worry sometimes about where their soul will go. As a pastor, I've had people ask me so worried about their eternal destiny, even though they know the Lord, even though they've confessed Christ as their Savior. 
I've seen people anxious about the final moments of their life. But you can have confidence today. You don't have to worry about life after death. Jesus conquered death in his resurrection. John 14, 9, he said, because I live, you will live also. The one promise you know you have is eternal life. First John 2 and 25, this is what he promised us. What the Lord promised us, what God promised us, even eternal life. This is what he promised us, even eternal life. So you don't have to worry about your soul. You don't have to worry about the soul of your loved ones. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord. He refers to heaven as a, as a house, as a place, because we live in houses. And it's natural that we would think of heaven as a dwelling place. David is thinking more about this, the temple of God. Some people say, well, he's thinking about, I'm going to be in the temple of the Lord. Well, the temple of the Lord is a beautiful place that they built in Jerusalem. The church where we gather to worship every Sunday is a beautiful sanctuary and campus for the glory of God. But David has more than, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord, a, a church building, a sanctuary, a temple. He has more than that in mind. He's speaking as a sheep of the pasture of God. He's reflecting on the shepherd providing the green pastures, the still waters, the rod of the staff, the table prepared in the presence of his enemies. He's thinking of this psalm about the anointing oil that God has upon his life, the overflowing cup of joy that he feels in his soul, and the mercy of God. The house of the Lord is the ownership of the shepherd. You know, I grew up in a house as a kid like all of you did. And our parents owned the house. I own the house now for my kids. The house of the Lord means that we're going to God's home. He's our father. Our family is in heaven. That's what he's drawn an analogy to, to think of every believer in heaven today, Old Testament or New Testament like, are in the house of the Lord, God's house. The psalmist David here has no wish to belong to anyone else other than the good shepherd. He wants to be in the house of the Lord. He speaks of the security he has with the shepherd. I'm confident. I'm sure in my soul. I will dwell. I will live. I'll move in. When you dwell somewhere, you move in. You don't just visit. I'm going to live permanently in the house of the Lord with him who is my shepherd. The assurance of your salvation is the greatest assurance you'll ever have in this life. And I'll tell you, it's the underlying key to overcoming anxiety. Psychologists tell us that underlying all of our anxieties is this deep, unspoken anxiety about death. But when you know that your soul belongs to God in eternity, you can conquer that anxiety. You can conquer any other anxiety. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says that when you were born again, that God marked us with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Think about that. The Holy Spirit in your life, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, is like a seal, a stamp of approval, a seal of a document that guarantees its authenticity. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteed. He's a guarantee of your inheritance in heaven. David uses this word forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a a word that's hard for us to get our minds around because we think of everything having a beginning point. But God doesn't have a beginning point. In the beginning, God created, but God has no beginning point. God is eternal. 
And scientists tell us that the universe began 13.7 billion years ago, what's called a tiny dot theory. And you can read and learn more about that in my book, Science and Scripture. I encourage you to read it. I connect everything we know about science and the cosmos with everything you see in Genesis and in the Bible. You'll see it all as the same revelation. That the universe began, science says, with a tiny dot of matter. And suddenly, without any explanation according to science, that tiny dot of matter burst forth. It expanded. And all the matter in the universe came from that compressed matter. You have to understand a little bit about atomic energy and molecular structure to understand how that's even possible. You see, that's amazing, absolutely. Even science says the whole universe is a miraculous undertaking. You can't even explain where it comes from. But many scientists now, people say, well, where did that original tiny dot of matter come from that's now expanded into several hundred billion galaxies, they think, and it's shaped like a cone. In other words, it continues to expand and move away from that point of origin. In the beginning, God created. They say, well, where did that matter come from? We know that God's eternal. But you know that many scientists say that the matter itself, without any reference of God, they say that the matter itself is eternal, that it has always existed. Anything that has always existed will always exist, and that's what the word forever means. So there's a lot of scientific evidence that there is a reality called forever. Now, we live in a world of time and space and matter. We feel like we're running out of time. Time is just a way that we measure our existence. Eternity is a reality. Forever is the reality. David says, I will dwell, I will live, I'm moving in God's house forever. He speaks openly and freely with confidence about eternality with God. David is not so much concerned with this life or life after death in this psalm as he is the fact that God is present in our lives continually here and forever. And that's the beauty of this psalm. It, it covers every aspect of life, how God is with us here and now, how he's working in our lives, how he provides for us, how he leads us and guides us. If you trust Christ, you're saved. If you live a personal relationship with God, you will see every aspect of the psalm fulfilled in your life. I could tell you story after story of my personal life. I've seen every aspect of the psalm fulfilled in my life, ways that God's led me and guided me. Sometimes when I prayed and sometimes when I didn't even know I needed to pray, but I can see his hand. How God has provided supernaturally at times in my life, I can testify to the healing, the joy that I have found, the divine direction, the provision, the protection, as I'm sure you can. And if you're just beginning with your life of the Lord, you're one day going to have a life full of testimonies like the psalmist sings about in this psalm. And so he celebrates how God, the good shepherd, is with us here and provides for us, and also how he's already provided a house for us in heaven. And one day we are going to move in. We're going to live in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to leave you with one final scripture to solidify in your understanding that when you trust Christ as your Savior, your eternal life in heaven is guaranteed. It's found in the brief letter of Jude, right before the book of Revelation. Just one brief letter. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. He ends it by saying in verse 24, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with 
great joy. God will keep you from falling, and one day he'll present you before his glorious presence in heaven without any fault because you're forgiven of your sins and with great joy. The ultimate fulfillment of the promise of David when he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever is when we see him face to face in heaven. I trust that you will know that the Lord is your shepherd. You're not going to lack anything you need in this life or in the life to come. Join me for prayer. Lord, we thank you today for this amazing, inspired psalm you gave to David so many years ago. This still teaches us about you, about your care in this world in which we live that has so many issues and struggles and seasons, and it has ups and downs, and yet through all of it, you are with us. And I pray today that you'll use this psalm to deepen the faith of your people to know in every situation of life You will lead them, you'll provide for them, you will protect them. And the greatest hope we have is that we will dwell in the house of the Lord. And may your goodness and your mercy overtake their lives today, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining me for this study. What an amazing, rich study of the Word of God Psalm 23 is, as we've discovered once again a new portrait of God learning what it means that the Lord is our shepherd. Sunday's coming. I'm looking forward to seeing you and your family for worship. Invite somebody to come to church with you this Sunday on campus. If you can't be with us, certainly worship online as well. Let me encourage you to make sure you subscribe to the Mount Pear Ministry on YouTube. You can watch all the sermons, participate in the incredible music ministry of the church and our worship. Watch these Bible studies or listen on the sermon podcast. Go and subscribe today and share with others as well. And let me ask you to subscribe to my sermon podcast. You get the teachings, the messages. Sometimes we give special messages. You'll only get on the sermon podcast as well. Most importantly, I want to thank you for your faithful commitment to the Mount Perry ministry, your generous giving, your faithful prayer, and your participation, active service in ministry in the church. What we do to we do together as a church family. You play an important role in the ministry of the church, and I want to thank you for all you're doing to keep the ministry strong in Atlanta and our message going out to all the world through our media and our ministry. God bless you. Have a great day. I'll see you Sunday. Thank you for joining me today as we've shared together the Word of God. Let me ask you to download the Mount Perrin Church app today so that we can stay connected and you can see all the great services and resources available for you and your family. Follow me on social media and also the Mount Perrin Church family. I look forward to seeing you in church to worship on campus and online. God bless you. Have an incredible day.